nice for singing. Sure. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Chuck. I'm from uh, Philadelphia. I was born and raised there. I'll share a little bit about that in a minute. But um, I wanted to start with a song. Um, when my wife and I were married and we uh, moved to Brooklyn, New York to work with uh, Teen Challenge in Brooklyn, uh, we moved into a little cottage behind the men's home and uh, we were just, we were newlyweds and we were, um, you know, having devotions and the Lord gave us a song. If she were here, she would sing it with me. Uh, she had knee replacement surgery, so she is recovering. Uh, Patty is doing well, though, and I know she's watching. So she'll sing with me from home. You've had your life completely planned. And all your hopes and dreams crumbled just like sand. But there is no hour, night, or day. I do not hear your cry or turn your prayer away. I know the plans that I have for you. Plan of blessing, says the Lord. Plan to prosper, and I'll give you hope. I won't harm you, says the Lord. So call on me. Come and call on my name, and I will hear your cry, precious child. the breaking of your heart I've seen you crying silent tears in the dark but I've bottled each and every tear my spirit is near my love can Heal your tears. I know the plans that I have for you. A plan of blessing, says the Lord. A plan to prosper and I give you hope. says the Lord, come and call on me, 
guitar stand fell over. <laughs> so, um, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, I am currently working as a mental health clinician at uh, AdCare in Worcester. I've, been, I've worked for AdCare six years. But I grew up in the city of Philadelphia. I was born and raised. Uh, and my father passed when I was six years old. And my mom raised me and my brother. We moved into old uh, military housing, which became the housing, government housing in Southwest Philly. And we lived there. Uh, we, were, we were poor. Um, I remember uh, lots of things about that community, but the thing I remember the most is the fear, the fear that gripped the community. It was in the 60s, there was a lot of political unrest in Philadelphia at that time. There were riots going on racial disharmony, kind of like today. And uh, I was raised without a father. So I turned to drugs, like a lot of people my age, and I became an addict. I became uh, early in my life uh, using just socially with people but I didn't have an off switch. Other people were going home, and I was still running and going. By the time I was 19, I was fully addicted. I hit a tree at about 90 miles an hour in my uh, teenage years when I was 18, um, high speed. Ended up in the hospital for about 
a year and a half and with spinal cord injury, paraplegic, in the wheelchair, and uh, just an angry man, angry. Uh, I did learn how to walk again, uh, by the grace of God. And that started 10 more years, though, of really dark searching. I lived all over the country. I got a, a, a van, traveled to the Midwest, Kansas, Oklahoma, all over. But everywhere I went, I showed up. <laughs> and uh, the problems just continued to grow. When I was uh, 27, I was back in Philadelphia. I had an apartment with my brother. And uh, at that time, I had found crystal meth and was using IV every day. Uh, and I, I got strung out. And there was a pastor who used to come to my house, my apartment there, and he would tell us Jesus loved us. I got busted. I went to Broad Meadows, Delaware County Prison there. And when I was released, I came home and my brother had left. I was by myself. I weighed 119 pounds. I was psychotic, I was seeing things, hearing voices, mostly from the crystal meth use. Um, and uh, this pastor came again. He used to come and bring groceries to us and reach out. I'm always thankful for those who go and reach out and sow seed because uh, sometimes you can feel like you're doing a lot of work and what good is it doing, but you just don't know where the seed's landing. You know, the word says, one sows, another waters, God gives the increase. And when we do what we're supposed to do, God, God does what he can do. And uh, so he came to my home and he said, uh, Chuck, I got something to tell you. And I said, yeah, I know, you're gonna tell me Jesus loves me. He said, no, you're gonna die. God wants you to know you're gonna die. And I said, wow, that's different. <laughs> that's different, thanks for telling me that. And he said, no, you're gonna, you have, uh, your life was spared and you have not been grateful, you've been angry and bitter, and God is reaching out to you, but you keep smacking his hand away. He told me about Teen Challenge and uh, Long story short, I went to Teen Challenge in Philadelphia, and that was 1987. And it was a Teen Challenge that I came to know of the love of God and the love of Christ for me. And uh, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. He became my savior. And he began a work in me. I'd like to say that it is not a phone booth. You know, you go in, you come out Superman, dun, dun, dun. You know, it's not a magic wand. There's, there's no, there's no uh, quick fix. That's the life of addiction, a quick fix. I, I eat this pill, problem solved. I take this drug, I feel better. 
No, I didn't become an addict overnight. There was a process. There were events in my life. And the road back to recovery and to, to uh, living free, though God gave the impetus to give me the direction and the ability to even choose that, the path to continued freedom was going to be a lifetime experience and work. So I thank the Lord and I give, give glory to Jesus for what he has done and continues to do. Uh, but now I'm working in the field. I have been involved with addicts one way or another all of my life, whether it was members of my family that were addicted to alcohol, dependent on alcohol, to my friends that I grew up with and that I used with, to friends and people that I've worked with at Teen Challenge in New York and Philadelphia or at the Fishnet Cafe or now at AdCare, uh, working really on the front lines in the detox and in the rehab with um, a substantial number of people. So I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad to be anywhere breathing on the planet and able to get up out of my bed and walk around. Every day I wake up and my eyes open and my feet hit the floor, I say, thank you, God. Uh, it can only get better from here. Uh, I was able to get up and leave my bed because there are many days in my life when I was not able to do that. And the thought, the question of living through the day was a question, so I'm glad to be here. I want to talk about addiction today. What is addiction? If you ask a clinician for a definition of addiction, or if you go to the DSM-5, well, and I'm not going to get into a lot of uh, mental health here, but if you were to go there for a definition, it would say obsessive, compulsive, behavior. Obsession means I can't get it out of my mind. It's an obsession of the mind. I think about it day and night. You see the average person that's on the street that's addicted to heroin, they are thinking about heroin from morning till night. They're thinking about where, even they may have a pocket full of heroin, but they're still thinking about where am I going to get my next my next uh, supply when this runs out. Obsessive, compulsive, has to do with actions, things I do. I am obsessing and I'm compulsively engaging in this behavior. Another word is repetitive. I would even use the word ritual. Addicts have rituals. We all have rituals, habits places we go, things we do, music we listen to. Well, people in addiction have, have um, rituals too, where they go, where they get their money, where they go to get their drugs, how I set up the music I listen to while I'm getting high, after I'm high, the places I go on the internet and the, the activities I get into, that's all part of the ritual. And many are as addicted to the lifestyle, the ritual, as they are to the substance. So that's a clinical 
definition of addiction, but I want to look at the scripture and, uh, and see what the Lord has to say. I'm in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, uh, verse 25, I'm in the English Standard Version. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the fields of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But I, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I want to focus on that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There was a book that was written. If you have time, you may want to check it out if you're interested in things regarding addiction. It's written by a man, uh, Dr. Gerald May. He was a Christian. And he was a psychologist, but he wasn't always a Christian. And he worked in the addiction community. He worked clinically with, with people in addiction. And uh, he did a search because when you work in the, in the community, you see the, the rate of relapse, the rate of going back people multiple times in for treatment, leaving, starting, beginning to get sober, and then relapsing and back into treatment again, a spiraling cycle, often downward until uh, the addiction is fatal. But he did a search. He had some questions. He was not a Christian. He was actually an atheist. But he went back through the, uh, and looked at the, uh, the scriptures of various worldviews and faiths. He looked at the scriptures of Hindus and the Hebrew scriptures of Judaism, the Old Testament. He looked at the New Testament. He looked at uh, many, many worldviews and religions. And he found a common denominator in all of them. The word addiction or the word addict is not found in any of them. In the, in the King James Bible, you won't find the word addict. But what he did found, find was that the process of addiction, 
was described. And he found a common theme throughout human history that men have been addicted since the beginning of time. Men have become addicted or dependent upon things from the beginning of time. He also found that addiction is not always a negative process. In our day, when we think of the word addiction, we have the connotation of drug addiction. But addiction, in a very real way, can be an attachment. And he used the word nailed. It is nailed to us. For instance, I'm addicted to oxygen. If you cut off my oxygen, you'll see me go into withdrawal. I'm addicted to food. I need food. Now, that's not a negative connotation, but I need food to survive. So there are things that we as human beings become attached to. But when there is pain, when there is trauma, when there is lack of connection, uh, when there's disenfranchisement, when there's a breakdown in my family, or my relationships with those that are close to me. We become addicted to things uh, that are not, not good for us. They help us feel better in the short term. They take away the pain for the moment. It's a momentary relief. And he found that if you get to know somebody's story and get to know their life, Many times you would not be asking the question, why are you addicted? The question becomes, why are you not? Because aside from the power of God in somebody's life, how do I cope? How do I cope with the loss of a father at six years old? How does a young girl cope with the physical and sexual abuse by a family member when she's five or six years old? What does she turn to to cope with that? And and at many levels, human beings reach out to medicate their pain. So when we think about addiction uh, in the New Testament, Again, the word addiction isn't found, but the concept is found. And it's found in one word. The word is devotion. Devotion. Jesus says here, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He just got done talking about the things that the Gentile world seeks after, that they're devoted to that make them get out of bed every day. The things that make me get out of bed, to go to work, to earn a living, to provide for a house, to provide for my family, all of these things, the clothing on my back. Now, if you were to go to a, uh, to a, a counselor, a therapist, you might hear of something called the hierarchy of needs. It's that pyramid. And it starts on the bottom with 
our basic needs, that human beings have this basic need for, for food, for water, to sustain their life. And then the next level is safety. I need to feel safe in my, in my surroundings. I need to feel safe and so on. And at the top of it is this uh, overarching purpose. What is my purpose here? Well, Jesus flips that on its head. And he says, my purpose here is not to be living and to be focused on my physical needs. What do I eat? What do I drink? All of that. How am I going to survive if I will first seek God and his kingdom and put that in its place and get that in order in my life? And all these other things will be added to me. When I'm in active addiction, when a person is living addiction, they are devoted to that every day. They wake up, and their, their purpose and their reason for getting up out of bed is to meet that need to help them to satiate that appetite and that habit. But the New Testament tells us Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by the word. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Paul tells Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. He tells Titus, Titus, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent needs and not to just look towards their own needs. Again and again, we hear in the New Testament this admonition to devote ourselves, devote ourselves first to God. What does it mean to be devoted? It means to put it first to let it be my motivation, to be my passion for life, to let it be that which drives me. See, we need a change of devotion. When I became a Christian and I came to Jesus, there was not a uh, magic wand that set me free. What happened, there was a transference of what was important to me I began to seek the kingdom of God. That became paramount in my life. That was my reason for getting out of bed in the morning. That was my reason for doing the things that I did. I was no longer just living to meet my needs and my clothing and my food and my felt needs and my physical needs. My whole focus shift from myself and what I wanted and what I needed to 
what God's purpose was for my life. Devoted to God. Secondly, devoted to his word. Devoted to the word. I can't tell you how many times God has used his word in my life to bring to me a truth that I need in a moment, in the context of my life. I couldn't believe when I was a young man just coming into the faith how that the word of God spoke so powerfully to areas of my life whether it had to do with fatherlessness or brokenness or grief or temptation, I found in the scriptures, in the word of God, what I needed, devotion to the word. And then finally, devotion to the fellowship. And I think when we boil it down, one of the great needs that we have in our culture today and in our society is connection. Connection. We connect through these. You know, when COVID hit, we went to virtual meetings, group meetings, AA, NA, uh, meetings on virtual, on Zoom, go to meeting. We found something, we learned something, that the people of my generation, us baby boomers and we're uncomfortable with this. Because we didn't feel the connection of being in the same room with the people that are our peer supports and those that come up and shake your hand and give you a hug and say, I'm glad to see you. And but on the flip side, those who've grown up with the technology they were much more comfortable in this realm and in this format. As a matter of fact, they were less comfortable in the one-on-one -on -one or in the group in person. They were more comfortable in a virtual. But we need connection. As human beings, we need connection. God did not create us to be solitary beings all the time, but he created us to be in fellowship with himself and with one another. There's a reciprocal relationship between us. I give to you, you receive from me, and then I receive from you. I get back from you, so there's a give and a take between us as human beings. And one of the major causes of addiction and of relapse is isolation, when people isolate, because there's no connection. There's no connection. I need that connection 
in my life so that I can grow and I can become and do what God intends for me to be. So getting back to my friend Gerald May. I want to read a quote from from his book. It's called Addiction and Grace, if you want to pick it up. He's with the Lord now. It's a a classic. It was written in 1988. Um, But it's a wonderful book, a wonderful uh, essay on addiction and grace. He says in, in his writing that people who are addicted to substances those events become nailed to their consciences. You know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in context. There are things happening in someone's life, events, things that are going on. For instance, two years ago or so, I was sitting on my front step. It was a summer night about 10, 10.30, just sitting out there enjoying the quiet. And here comes a car down the road, convertible. And out of that car was a song playing, waking through the air. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Tears of a Clown. In a moment, I was back on the stoop in southwest Philadelphia the smell in the air, all of that took me right back there and I was experiencing feelings uh, from that time in my life. We become attached. But grace, the grace of God, that comes to me and to you and offers us help that we can't pay for, we can't earn, we can't figure it out on our own. I did not figure out how to set me free. I did not figure out how to get on the road to recovery. Somebody came, paid the fee. He paid the fee and then he put me on the road. says, similarly, grace seeks us, but not to control us. St. Augustine once said that God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. If our hands are full, they are full of the things to which we are addicted. And not only our hands but also our hearts, our minds, and attention are clogged with addiction. Our addictions fill up the spaces within us where the grace of God might flow. Wow. See, I can be addicted to a lot of things. They don't have to be substances. I can be addicted to this. I can be addicted to my job. I can be addicted to all kinds of things where I am obsessively, compulsively, repeatedly 
acting in these, these behaviors and in these ways that block out my devotion, my seeking first the kingdom of God. It's a constant challenge. It is for me. If it's not for you, then I'm glad. But for most of us, this is a challenge for us to keep our focus and our devotion on the Lord and on his word and on the fellowship with fellow believers. Uh, and he says that our hands are full of the things to which we're addicted. God is trying to give me and to bring these things into my life, but my hands are full. God, why aren't you doing this for me? Uh, Chuck, I want to. Your hands are full. You've got to release. You've got to lay hold of that death grip you have on this thing so I can bring my grace and my love to flow into that space to bring healing and restoration to you. Because I can meet that need. I can meet you in those, those deep needs that no one sees and nobody feels but you. I can meet you there. But you have to be willing to let go and empty your hands. Well, how do I do that, Jesus? Just be willing. Just be willing. Say, God, I don't know how to do this. But I'm willing, God. I'm willing. Would you help me? I can tell you as someone that Jesus' grace has come to many, many times, if you're willing, he will come. He will come. We talk about in recovery, motivation to change. Are you ready? He's not ready yet. I say to you, if you're ready to release those things, and open your hands. God will come and help you. I gotta throw it down and in the name of Jesus, I'm done with this. No. Just give it over to him. Open up your hands. He will come by his spirit and he will meet you. He will meet you. Let's shut ourselves in with the Lord for a moment here. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to the world and laying down the price. You were devoted, Lord. You came into the world and you were devoted to doing the will of your Father. Day and night, you had one focus to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what you did, Lord. You followed all the way through to the cross. You left your hands open. And I thank you for doing that for me and for every person here 
and every person under the sound of my voice. Jesus, you lay down your life for each one of us. And if we will turn to you, and if we're willing, you will come and you will help us. And you will do what only you can do. I just think of David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge, who said on the 50th anniversary, we don't claim to have a cure for addiction. But what we have found is a power that comes to liberate not to bind up, not to control, but to bring freedom that captures the heart. Lord, and that's what we want. We want to be captured by your grace. We want your grace to capture our minds and emotions so that when I wake up in the morning, my mind is focused and devoted to what you have captured me for. We thank you, Father. We thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. when God does things that are gentle and not every truth that's powerful has to be screamed or shouted. Now, I, I've been thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs for years and never even saw that. Jesus just flipped it on its head. And we sit, we sit here and we look at other people and say, oh, that poor drug addict, that poor prostitute, you know, the, that poor person that's just stuck in that lifestyle. And in the meantime, we don't even recognize that we are junkies. 
We're junkies to our jobs and our dreams and our devices. And as I was sitting there, I was like, oh God, what are the things I need to have a hold of? Like, I just feel challenged this morning that it's time that I stop emptying, stop holding on to things that don't really matter and grab on to the one thing that's needed. That's Jesus. But I think, I think uh, everything, he's been speaking into my life for decades, decades. And even as I was listening to him, I'm like, oh God, I'm holding on to this and I'm holding on to that. And I'm like, oh God, I want to have a one, one hand on you and, and I want to be devoted to you and I want to, I want to be devoted to my wife in this next phase of life more than ever before. And I want to, it, but it's just so easy that the cares of this world, Jesus said, can grow up around that good seed that's in us and choke it out. And I just, I think, I think God wants to do some weeding in our life. And if that's, if that's you, if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I've been finding my identity and I've been finding my significance and I've been finding my fix. Well, it's not in meth and it's not in heroin, but God, I'm willing. I'm willing. If that's you, I want you to stand. I'm standing already, but if I was on the floor, I'd be there. If that's you, just stand. Say, Pastor, I want, I want to be devoted to him. I have some things that have dominance in my life that I, I want to exchange dominance and control for devotion and freedom. Father, we, do, we don't know how. We just want to say that we're willing. Be the center of our life. Help us to know what it really means to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And that all the other things will be added to us instead of us having our hands filled with things that really just don't matter. They're taking up the place and space for your grace. We just, we just set down right now these things, Lord. And we just open our hearts and we just say, oh God, fill us with your grace and your mercy and your hope and your freedom. Lord, we just thank you for this truth today. And we just wanna carry it into our future however long or short that is, that if we don't get this right, we'll waste our life. So Lord, help us not to worry about what we eat, drink, or wear, what people will think about us, or how secure our future is, but we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, and that we would watch you provide all of those other things to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. It's beautiful freedom here this morning. Beautiful freedom. Can we thank Chuck for his time, for his word? Remember, not next week, but the week after, we're starting again, 8.30 and 10.30. All children's ministry and second service will be there. And we encourage you to take some of those cards out in the foyer, bring them with you, invite someone to church, change the world one life at a time. God bless you. Thank you for being the church. 